So last week, uh, Pastor Adam in uh, chapter 16, he gave a great illustration. Um, he gave uh, an illustration of the, elder, the eldest and the younger son, right? Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh being the oldest of Joseph and Ephraim being the youngest of Joseph, right? And, uh, and we know that whole story and everything. But um, the illustration, as he was giving the illustration, I remember because how many of you guys are uh, oldest here? Like the older brother or sister or whatever it may be, right? There's something special about that. You guys are special. I'm the oldest. <laughs> so I'm the oldest of four. Um, and, um, and so when uh, Pastor Adam was talking about it, and he was talking about how the youngest got the blessing, whereas the oldest uh, basically didn't. And he made all these cool comparisons and everything between generations and generations. Um, I, I started to feel a little left out, if I'm really honest with you guys, right? I started to think, where is he going with this, right? Am I, as the elder son, not to receive an inheritance, right? But then it had such a cool twist, because what he was saying was not basically about the inheritance, but the comparison that he made was that basically the oldest was the old man in us, which is equivalent to the flesh. And the youngest was the new creation in us, which is equivalent to the spirit. And I don't know about you guys, but it's the, kind of like the first time I had really heard that, and it really got me. And it really got me because... Um, because uh, that, that says a lot about our spiritual walk, right? That says a lot about our spiritual walk. How many of you guys here are quitters? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> uh, thank you for being really honest with me. Thank you for being really honest. So I've been involved in a few ministries uh, that uh, had a position to lead people, right? To lead youth, children. I, actually, I've been involved in ministries all the way from nursery all the way to adults. It's been kind of crazy and awesome ride with the Lord. But um, some of the ministries I, I got to lead, um, I got to lead young men um, who were in their 20s so, and so. And I remember that uh, I was in a season where I had two, three young men under me, and we were in this ministry that, that basically required commitment, right? Uh, you didn't have to be there if you didn't want to, but it required some commitment, and it was difficult. And so I remember um, uh, leading these, uh, these, these men for probably about a month or so out of a four-month period. And, uh, and, and then I remember them quitting on me and saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go home. And there was nothing we could do to convince them otherwise, right? And uh, for, for a long time, that, that was a heartfelt thing for me because, you know, we, we don't like people quitting on us, right? It hurts. Uh, you start to question yourself and all these other things. So I remember later down the years um, having these conversations with my wife about myself, and I came to a brisk realization. I came to a realization that I am a quitter. And, and by I am a quitter, I'm a quitter, guys. Like, you could name a sport, I've quit. You could name a hobby, I've quit. You could name a book, I've quit. Um, came to the realization that I'm a quitter. And, and so, that being said, that realization of me being a quitter really came to me as I'm a quitter in the flesh. Right? When I am walking in my fleshly desires, my fleshly lust, what I do is I quit. I, I, I take something on and I let it go. And the reason I gave the example of these young men that quit on me is because I came to the realization that a lot of times the people that we lead struggle with the same things that we struggle with. I don't know if you guys have seen that in your ministries and your leading of, of, of people or if you're a father or mother here, right, parents? You see that in your kids. You get so angry at your kid for doing something. You're like, that's me. That's me and them. Right? I'm not a parent, but uh, don't look forward to that part. Um, but I say all this because I think some of the reasons, because as I analyzed it over the years, that I've quit so many things is because of the one word, Right? The one word that we all know so well and that we all hold on to so well sometimes, that's fear, right? 
fear. The fear of not knowing. If I continue on with this, what will happen? What will I have to sacrifice? What will I have to do? And so when there's fear involved, well, all we see is this mountainous, um, this, this, this mountain, right? All we see is this mountain. And then the word or the phrase really comes to mind, we can't, we can't, right? So the reason I share this with you tonight is because as we dive into chapter 17, uh, we're going to continue on the note that 16 ended, right? And if you guys remember chapter 16, the way it ended in verse 10, it says, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. And what we're going to see is that this is going to continue to be something that continues to happen with the Israelites, right? But ultimately, um, what this chapter, as I was reading it and, and meditating on it, what this chapter, I think, represents is the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. Paul would say that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And I love the fact that he uses the word lust. Because really what it's saying is that one is against each other and they're going head to head all the time. How many of you guys can agree with me that that's us on a daily basis, right? Paul would later say in Romans chapter 7, he would explain it a little more and say, what I want to do, I do not do, and what I do, I do not want to do. Why? Because what Paul was saying with that is that that battle of flesh and spirit within us, what it really causes is for us to want to do God's will. But ultimately, what we end up doing is what we know what to do in our sin nature, Right? But then there's also a part of the spirit where the spirit comes in and we have this desire to serve God. Have you ever been in a place where you say to God, I want nothing more than you in my life. I want nothing more than you in my heart. But all that comes out is the opposite. Right? This is the war that is waged within us. You see in John... In 1 John chapter 3, we'll say that love casts out all fear, right? Love casts out all fear, right? And so ultimately, I think as we look at this chapter, we're going to see an overview of what God is seeing. And he's giving us an overview of the Israelites, the Manassites to be, uh, the tribe of Manasseh to be specific. But I want it for us as we go through this to look at it as also how God sees us. Because you, you see, God didn't expect the Israelites to be perfect, right? What he looked at ultimately was their heart. And what he wanted was to cast the fear out of their heart. Because if we look at where the Manasites are at right now, they're in the promised land, right? They've crossed the Jordan River. And I remember Matthew a few, a couple months ago, it feels like so long ago, Matthew explained how the crossing of the Jordan River was like the second baptism, right? It was the receiving of the Holy Spirit, walking to the promised land. But guess what? There were still battles to fight. And in battle, if there is one thing for sure, is there, there's fear. But the love of God cast out all fear. And that's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see that God wants a heart cast out of all fear so that we may know. And I'm going to use this word know later, which is koinonia. It's not just a knowledge of knowing, right, like you know a lot, but rather an intimacy. God wants intimacy but he wants intimacy for the purpose of us having a, a heart cast out. So the title for tonight's teaching is a 
a heart cast out. Dot, dot, dot. Because there's more to that. And we'll talk about that. But before we dive into the scriptures, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, because you care for our hearts. Yes, Father, you care for our bodies, Lord, because they are your creation no matter what, Lord. But, Lord, our heart is really what you're after. And sometimes you will allow our bodies to endure, our bodies to persevere, things that we don't understand. But Lord, you understand, you know. And so I just pray, Lord, as we seek you and we uh, uh, get in intimacy with you, Lord, I, I pray that any fear in our hearts may be cast out, Lord, because when that fear is cast out, Lord, we're able to see your plan and continue to do your will, Lord. So, Lord, speak to our hearts that we may know you, Lord, that words that come out of my mouth may not be for this world, Lord, but rather for and from you, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, tonight for allowing us to come together and, and, and be witnesses to you, Lord, but more importantly, surrender witnesses to you, Lord. Lord, speak to us and guide us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we see in chapter 17, verse 1, it starts this way. He says, there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. So we see here that Manasseh is the half-tribe that actually crossed the Jordan, and they're going to be given a lot. Now, they say that the, the tribe of Ephraim, or uh, the two-and-a-half tribes that stayed on the other side, they were much larger than the tribe of Manasseh. So we're going to see that Manasseh is not going to get a lot. They're going to get what God thinks they can handle. Remember, they cast a lot, which meant that they were trusting God on where the, the, the tribes were to be placed. And so we see here that it says, continuing not, namely for Makir, the firstborn Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. Verse 2. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiezer, the children of Helek, the children of Azrael, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of she Shemira. There, these were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their family. So we see here that they're giving the inheritance, uh, uh, the, the male children are giving the inheritance. I think I find it interesting that they mention the children because really the ones that were going to take over the land, because remember, the land was not completely empty, right? The land still had the Canaanites living on it. And the commandment was that they were to go out and clear the land of all the inhabitants so that it could, more importantly, so that they could enjoy it fully. So we see here that all the male children receive this lot, right? This was the culture. This was the commandment that was given that the male would get the, the, the inheritance, and so in verse 3, something changes. There's a change of tone here because as we know, God doesn't do things the way that we always think he's going to do them, right? God doesn't do things the way that we always think we're going to do them. When we talk about the heart and, 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 and the matters of the heart, we always think, God, I need you in my heart, so do it this way. How many of you guys like to tell God what to do? Right? If we're really honest, right? We're like, God, I have it all planned out. I'm going to do this, 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 step B, and then that. And then that's how it's going to work. But what happens? The Lord says, no, 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 no. If I let you do what you think you need to do, which sometimes he does, right? Then nothing's going to get done. Why? Because we're quitters, right? That's who we said we were, right? Because we're quitters. Well, I'll just leave it for later. So then we see here that in verse 3, there's a change of gears, 
right? There's a change of gears. He says, but, anytime you see but in the scriptures, you have to know something's changing. And it says, Selophead, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. So I don't know if you guys um, really uh, uh, remember, but the uh, culture in old times, and it continued on for a lot of years, if you had only daughters, it was kind of a shame, right, to only have daughters in culture. Because what it meant that if you only had daughters, that meant that you had no inheritance, right? You had no inheritance. And so what a lot of, um, what you see in a lot of the history and culture is that a lot of people were upset when they had no uh, no male sons, right? Or no sons, I guess it's male sons, it's the same thing. When they had no sons, right? Who knows in our culture, right? Um, but they had no sons, right? So they would be upset about that. And sometimes they, the, the, king or the husband, whoever it may be, they would even take on another wife, right? Which, which is the ultimate discrimination to women, right? Like having to share a husband just so that you have a son. I think it's terrible. But what we see is that the Lord doesn't follow those rules, right? He doesn't follow culture. He doesn't follow the rules that man has to follow because why? Because ultimately he's God. Right, and what we see here is that God doesn't do things the way that we that, that we would do them. So then He says here, and these are the names of His daughters: Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying. The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. So we see here that the Lord, he gives them an inheritance. And just as a side note, and I'm not going to go too deep into it because it gets very complicated and then you really have to spend a lot of time on it. But basically what this allows is for, for the Messiah to be born through Mary later. Okay, so you have the two genealogies, one in Matthew, one in Luke, right? The genealogy in Matthew, I don't know if you guys noticed, is the genealogy of Joseph, the genealogy, I'm struggling with this word. Can't wait to read all these other names. Genealogy of, uh, uh, in, in Luke is the one of Mary, which ends up being where Jesus is born into. So you guys can look that up on your own if you'd like. Uh, it's pretty cool how everything works. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between. But something I want to point out here is that with these daughters, right? God does things different. Uh, in Isaiah, he says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, right? My thoughts are higher than yours. The heavens are higher than the earth. And so therefore, everything I do is above you, right? How many of you guys know that that's our God, right? He's not a God that does things where we're like, well, I could have done that, right? Or I could have done that. But rather, he does things in a way where it could only be him. There's no other way, right? Um, and I want to give an example of this. Um, if we go to 2 Kings chapter 5, if you remember, in 2 Kings chapter 5, there was a commander, right? So 2 Kings chapter 5, and I want to read this story with you guys, because there was a commander whose name was Naaman, right? Do you guys remember Naaman? What was going on with Naaman? Leprosy, right? Leprosy. And as, as we know, leprosy is kind of like a representation of sin in the Bible, right? Uh, it's not like a direct correlation, but it's kind of seen that way. But we see here that in um, chapter 5, it says, Now Naaman's commander of the army of the king of Syria was great and an honorable man. So you see this guy here. He's great. He's honorable. He's a commander. He's a leader. And then he said, but, but he had leprosy, right? He had leprosy. But it says that he was honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him 
the Lord had given victory to Syria. And I find it so interesting that he, he's giving victory to a foreign country. He's not an Israelite. He's none of that. But through him, the Lord was working, right? The Lord was working. And then if you guys, we're going to skip down because we're not going to read the whole thing. It's a lot here. So basically what ends up happening, I'll tell you the story, and if you know it already, uh, great. Uh, but basically what happens here is he has leprosy. The, 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 the king of Syria writes to uh, the, king of Israel, or the king of Israel at the time, and he says, hey, my commander has leprosy. Can you heal him? Because they knew that they, they associated God with him. And so basically, the king tears his clothes, and he says, what is he trying to start a war? He knows I can't heal him. But who's there at the time when this happens? Yeah, the prophet's there, right? The, the prophet Elijah's there, and what ends up happening is that he says, Elijah says, hey, wait, wait, stop here. I, if you send them to me, I can, I, he can be healed, right? So Elisha has this faith, right? Remember what he asked of Elijah. He asked a double portion of what Elijah had, and he had it, right? So then in verse 8, or middle of verse 8, says, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So uh, he does come to him. He comes to his house, right? He comes to his house, and it says in verse 9, um, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, notice this. He's a leper, but he has a chariot, and he has horses. Basically, a chariot is kind of known like a tank, right? So he could have gone on his horse, but rather than going on his horse, he goes in all this glory to, to the prophet's house, right? And then in verse 10, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, so notice this, instead of Elisha coming out, what happens? He's just a messenger, right? He's just somebody. He's supposed to be this great commander, this honorable man, and not even the red carpet is rolled out. Not even the prophet himself comes out, but sends a messenger. How would you feel if, if that was you? If you traveled all this way, and you got sent by the king, and, and then you get to this person's house, right? And they don't even come out to see you. Like, what's the point? What did I come all this way for? I even brought my nice chariot, the one with the spokes and the nice seat and the nice paint. But no, he doesn't even come out. But this is what the messenger says. And he says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Right? He says, go and wash in the Jordan. Go and wash in the Jordan. Well, we already know where Naaman's heart is at, right? He said, I'm being healed. He said, you sent me to this prophet so that I could be healed. So I want to be healed, but he's sending me to the Jordan River to wash seven times. All these instructions. What does Naaman say? Is he excited about this, to go wash? Absolutely not, right? Verse 11, he says, but Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal leprosy. So notice this, he wanted a miracle to happen, right? He wanted that when he came in all his glory, that the God of the heavens would come down and heal him. But that's not what happens, right? That's not what happens at all. That's not what happens at all. So in verse 12, his servant, verse 12, um, it says, are not the... Abana and the part of the rivers of the mass better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Would you not have done it? So his, his servant challenges him. And he says, Hey, you said you wanted to get healed. And you said, and you believe that God can do this. That's why you're here. But yet you want the prophet to come out. And you're not following instructions because your heart's not in the right place. And, and let's take a step back here. Okay. Could it be easy to say to him, right, because we're reading the story, Naaman, what are you doing? You're being prideful. You're being this, right? 
But let's be honest. This man has leprosy. This is one of the, net, I don't I want to be careful with my words, but one of the worst, like, illnesses, right, that we've known for a long time. I mean, you had pieces of skin that would fall off. Your skin was actually, they would kick you off to a different, uh, a city just full of lepers just so that you wouldn't be within the rest of the people. This is the kind of treatment they received. So for Naaman, if he goes into the river and nothing happens, what then? So I look at this, and I see that Naaman had fear, right? And in his fear, he had an idea of these things were going to go, right? He says, I was going to come to the prophet, and when the prophet came out, he was going to pray to God, and the heavens would open, and I would be healed, right? He had an idea of how this was going to happen. And when that idea was different, because that's how God commanded it, right? I'm not in the room with Elisha, but I know that Elisha, according to the Bible, is a man of God who had a double portion. And if he's a man of God, then he's seeking God the moment that he leaves the king's presence in order to, to, to pray for this man that's to be healed, right? And the Bible doesn't say, but I imagine that Elijah was told, tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Tell him to go. Why? Because God, I think, cared more about the fears in his heart than the appearance of his flesh. Because how many of you guys know that we could be healed, but our heart could still be in the same place, right? Our body can be healed, but our, our heart can be full of the same fears when our body was whatever it was, right? And so even though Naaman had this idea of what he wanted, God, God's thoughts were, were different. God's thoughts were higher. He says, I want to heal your body, yes, but I want your heart. And that's what I'm really after. I want your heart to be whole. And so going back to Joshua 17, we see this example that he does things different. And we see that land and inheritance is given to daughters. Where culture saw it as a no-no, God said this is what needs to happen. Why? Because... He cared about their hearts. He cared about his people's heart. Because in the long run, what was going to be the product of this was that Jesus Christ would be born of the Virgin Mary and being born of no sin. And so we see that he had a different plan. And it wasn't because he wanted to hurt them but rather because his plans involve the matters of the heart and not just the then and there. So we see that that's what happens. So in verse 7 it says, And the territory, continuing on, of Manasseh was from Asher to Megmethod that lies east of Shechem, and the border went along south to the inhabitants of an, of an sorry, I lost my place here, of and Tapua. Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the border descended to the brook of Cana, southward to the brook. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. Southward, it was Ephraim's northward, it was Manasseh's, and the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Bethshean and his towns, uh, Iblim and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns, three hilly regions. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. So I think it's interesting here how they're giving the land, right? They're giving the land. 
This is the promised land that they've traveled and waited so long for and fought so long for. And they're given that land, but yet they fail to overtake it, right? Instead, what do they do? What do they do? They make peace and they exploit the people, right? They make peace and they exploit the people here. And so what we see is that when the fears are not cast out of our hearts, one of the things that happens is we compromise, right? We compromise. When I mean fears, I mean fears of what God is calling us to do, right? God called them to take over the land. He says, here, I give it to you. It's yours. But their fear was the people of the land. Their fear was taking over the land. What if I start to take over the land and I don't accomplish it? Must have been something they said. What if I step out in faith, believing God, and he lets me down? Right? What if I just can't do it? That's what I think they were saying. You see, when we allow the fear to distort what God has for us, what God has said about us, what happens is that we compromise. Not only do we compromise, but then we start looking for gains, right? We start exploiting everything that we can for our gain, right? So first we compromise because of our fear, and then we exploit. How can we become who we think we should be, right? We start telling God, this is how it really should be done, is what we're really telling God, right? When that fear is in our heart. And that's what happened to, to Manasseh. But remember, Manasseh is a representation of the flesh and those fears. And what is happening with Manasseh right now is this uh, fleshly representation when we allow those fears to feed our lust for the fleshly things. Right? Our desires for the fleshly things. Fears can feed that. Fear can feed that. And what happens is that we compromise and then we exploit. So in verse 14, we're going to see what else fear does. We're going to see what else fear does here. So in verse 14, it says, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So the immediate thing that they do, after they have already compromised, right? After they already exploited the people, the in, initial thing that they do is they do what a lot of us like to do best, right? And that's complain. They complain to God, right? Well, not to God, to Joshua. Um, the one thing I do want to point out is that Joshua is a direct representation of Jesus, of who Jesus is, the leader, uh, uh, Jesus as the leader, so we see here that the first thing that they do is that they complain, right? They complain. They say there's not a lot of room for us. You only gave us so much land, right? Because they didn't get, get a lot. But they say, they start complaining. We don't have a lot. You only gave us so much. And at this point, if we were Joshua, we'd probably tell them, well, if you would have kicked out the people out of the land, you wouldn't be in that place, right? You'd have more space for your people. But rather... They allowed him to live there. But that's not what Joshua says, right? See what Joshua says. Joshua says in verse 15, So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. So we see that Joshua challenges the, the tribe of Manasseh, right? They complain, and Joshua challenges, right? How many of you guys know that's how, how the Lord is with us, right, when we complain, right? Oh, my wife, I just can't believe. I, I, can't, I can't stand her anymore, right? And what does she say? What does the Lord say? The Lord says, love her. It's not her, it's you. You have to change your heart, right? 
Why? Because the Lord's not going to let us, the Lord's not going to let us dwell in our pity. The Lord's not going to say, oh, you're right, poor you, let me baby you and let me, no. The Lord's like, Joshua says, no, if you are a great and mighty people as you say you are, then take over the land, right? He says, take over the land. I can't tell you how many times the Lord has told me that. When I want to complain how tired I am. When I want to complain how I don't like a person, right? Because if we're really honest with each other, we can't like everybody. I'm not likable to a lot of people. That's okay. Because the Lord likes me, I think. Right? So rather than enabling them, babying them, Basically, he challenges them and says, if you're as big as you say you are and as confined as you say you are, then take over the land. Go up to the forest country and clear it. And of course, somebody with fear in their heart, when um, complaining doesn't work, then come the excuses, right? So in verse 16, it says, but the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are Bethshan and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. So he said, they say, I mean, we would, but there's chariots, there's giants, there's all these things that are in the way, right? Do you think that could have stopped them? They were one of the biggest tribes, even though they were smaller than Ephraim. They were one of the bigger tribes of all the 12. Yet, in their minds, they saw themselves incapable of doing it. And there's only, I think, one reason for that, and that's fear. Fear was keeping them from fulfilling what God had called them to, to do where God had called them to, right? And when God gave them to take care of something, their response was, I, I need more, right? I need more. I need something different. You know what mentality that is? That's a mentality of a quitter, right? I'm not going to take care of what I have, but I'll take some more. Right? I'm not going to take care of this, but I'll take some more. And so what we see here is that they're asking God for more, but they're not taking care of what God has already given them. They're asking God for more, but are not taking care of what God has already given them. One thing I do want to point out, though, because we can look at this text and say, oh, look at them. They complain. They make excuses. They get challenged. and they That's great. But one thing I do want to point out is that even though they saw themselves incapable in fear, they engaged in conversation with the leader, Joshua, right? Which ultimately we see him as Jesus. He was, they were engaging in conversation with their, with their leader, right? They kept the conversation going. At no point did they say, just turn their back on, on Joshua and say, we're going to go do our own thing. We're going to go back across the Jordan River and do our own thing, right? I appreciate that. I appreciate that even though they complained and made excuses, they continue to engage with God. You see, I think nowadays uh, we think that God is this otherworldly being that we cannot speak to in such a manner, right? So we try to use these words that are eloquent, these words that are biblical, right? We even name our kids biblical names. Why? Because maybe God will bless them if I just name them, uh, I don't know, Daniel. Actually, I've picked out some crazy names from the Bible, but my wife doesn't want to name our kids that. She says she doesn't like them. To be fair, they're a little out there. But you see, um, Manasseh, uh, the, the tribe of Manasseh, they continue to engage in conversation. 
And, and, and I think it points out to us that even when we have fear in our heart and even when we feel like we failed in, in disobedience, there's something to be said about that conversation, that fellowship with God. Uh, not giving up, even though we failed in the flesh, not to give up in the spirit because the flesh is going to fail, guys. We're all imperfect. I fail all the time. That's my wife. Don't ask her. And because I think they were persisting with that, then in verse 17, this is what happens. Joshua doesn't dismiss them and say, well, you guys are crybabies. Go, go cry somewhere else. But rather what he says is, says, and Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. You see here, that's a change of tone, right? That's no longer a challenging, do-it-yourself type of tone, but rather the tone here is one of declaration and proclamation over them, right? Now, whether they do it or not, that's up to them, right? But you know who this reminds me of? Jesus, our Lord, who doesn't just give up on us and doesn't just say, you're a crybaby. Or you suck or whatever. He can say anything, right? He's God. But rather what he says, and I want to point out these three things, is you're a great people and have great power. And the mountain country shall be yours. The mountain country shall be yours. And I think it's important to point that out. And this is what I want to finish with. I want to point out three things here. Those three things. But to introduce that, I want to say that notice that he made a declaration and proclamation before. Before what they actually were going to do. Right? Because this thing ends with, although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites through, though they have iron chairs and are strong. Right? Though they have iron chairs and are strong. Guys, it's awesome that he says that, but the world tells us that, right? There's a lot of self-help books out there, right? And if we're really honest with us ourselves, we've read one or two of those. In a yearning to be different, in a yearning to change our fleshly nature, in a yearning to be more spiritual, right? But I think what's important here that before the doing comes, there needs to be something that happens internally, right? There needs some. There needs to be something that we know internally. When I say know, I don't mean knowledge, but rather an intimacy. That is within us. And so this is where I want to use the title. A heart cast out of all fears knows three things. Or these three things. There's more obviously. But knows these three things. The first one is greatness, right? He says, you are a great people. You are a great people. What do I mean by greatness? Do I mean that we pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we're great in the eyes of God, good job? Absolutely not, right? Why are we great? Why, are, why, were the, uh, the, the, why was the tribe of Manasseh great people? Be because they were chosen. Exactly. Because of God. Do you consider yourself chosen? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, do you consider yourself chosen? Because in John chapter 1, it says to those who believe, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, right? Children of God. And that says a lot. That says a lot. But the only way we could really know this is through that intimacy with God. Because our intimacy with God with, with, with Jesus and his word, 
in obedience, what it does, it casts the fear, right? When you're a child of God, that's all that matters, right? That's all that matters. I remember um, as a child, uh, I was we're driving with my dad in uh, one of his old pickups. <laughs> like, he, he always had old pickups because uh, he used to pick up, like, uh, scrap metal and then sell it. And then in Chicago, it was always a rainy day. No matter what, it was always raining or something. So he's driving through some train tracks, and somehow the rear end of the pickup truck slips out. And it's like, it's my dad driving, me in the middle, and then, um, and then my grandfather. And the truck spins like, I want to say like three, four times, like just really fast. And then slams against a, 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 a light post or something, like really hard. And, and, and in describing that, you would think, wow, like you must have been so scared. But I wasn't. That's not what I remember. You know what I remember? I remember looking up at my dad and knowing I was going to be okay because I was with my father. That's what I remember. Now, my grandfather, he had a whole other deal going on with my dad. <laughs> my grandfather's one of those older, just uh, farming, ranching kind of guys, and he doesn't, yeah, he's not very nice about things sometimes, but, but he loves the Lord now, so <laughs> that's, that's good. But you know, when we, when we know greatness, we know we're his children. We know that greatness and all fear is cast out of our hearts. Second to here is great power. A heart cast out of all fears knows great power, right? The Bible says that, 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 that the spirit of God dwells within us, right? What spirit of God? The one that in Genesis 1.26 says that they were going to create man. The one who created us lives within us. And not only that, that same spirit that we see in the New Testament healed, right? That, that, that we see in the New Testament, um, the crippled hand, and it's extended. Why? Because the spirit of God dwells in and the one that multiplied the church and protected them. So when we have that heart, that cast out all fears, we know in intimacy the great power that's within us. And it doesn't stop there. Lastly, here, it says that, but the mountain country shall be yours. The mountain country shall be yours. The last thing here is a heart cast out of all fears, nose, mustard seed, faith. Knows mustard seed faith, right? Why do I say that? Because in Matthew 17, we see that Jesus is talking to the multitudes and he's rebuking them for being unbelievers. And he says, Only if you had the faith of a mustard seed that you would tell that mountain, Move. And what would it do? It'd move, right? The faith of a mustard seed. A lot of times we look at our our faith is like, I wish I had this great faith. I wish I'd, I can believe more, right? But Jesus says, all you need is a, the, seed of a, the, the, the faith of a mustard seed. And ultimately, all we really need is, is him in our lives, in our hearts, to cast out all that fear. So tonight as we're going through this, the... Um, Manasseh, tribe of Manasseh, they were being called to take over the land, right? Take over the land. Get past yourselves and take over the land. Forget what you think. And I want to um, um, I want to challenge our hearts tonight and tell you, what is, what is the Lord calling each and every one of us to do that we're not doing, that we have left to the flesh to tell us, hey, I'm fearful of this, I'm fearful that I'm going to take that step of faith and the Lord's not going to be there. I'm fearful that things aren't going to be the same. I'm fearful of what the future holds. Because as we bring that to mind, and I want to say bring that to heart, because it's really in our heart that we follow, right? 
as we bring that to heart, do we know his greatness? Do we know the great power that lives within us? And ultimately, do we know the faith that he has given us? A faith that has lasted through historically through eternity. Do we know that? Because if we're not taking that step of, of faith, it's because we're allowing the fear to reign in our hearts and nothing good comes out of that. That's the flesh. That in our lives, the spirit may be the one that's lusting, that's desiring, that's desiring more and more more of God because I guarantee you we cannot get tired of that so tonight I just pray that for us I pray that that would be our heart not that there's not going to be fear in our heart but that as that fear comes we don't allow it to distort the promises that God has for us and what he wants to do Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. Because it is your love that casts out all fear, Lord. It is your love that gave your son and it took your son to the cross that we may have life and life eternal, Lord. A lot of times in our hearts, we can think that without you, we can't have life, Lord. But your word says that you are the life. Anything else is death. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we may walk and live out the life that you have already given us. We're in the promised land, Lord. We're there. There's just battles to be fought. I pray that our hearts may be ones of warriors for you, Lord. Ones that are ready to do what you have called us to do in the way that you instruct us to do it, Lord. Lord, change these hearts. If we are here tonight with hearts that are hardened, hearts that are dried out, Lord, hearts that are turned away from you, Lord, I pray that you may soften, you may water, and that you may turn back to you, Lord, those hearts. That all fear may be cast out by your love. And that we may know you intimately, Lord, and know who we are in you. Lord, we thank you tonight. We praise in your name. We pray. Amen.